0: Can I have this mic? Okay. Good morning. Good morning. This past week, we were part of an effort called Go Beyond. And there was about 150 people from this church that were engaged in that. So we want to thank you for that. And there's been yard work. There was city work. There was food boxes packed. I think they packed over 200,000 boxes that are going to go over to Nepal. And one of the things that we did here was our annual clothing drive. Now I was here Thursday and I got to talk to some people. I mean, there's a lady from Coatesville with six kids that saw the ad on Craigslist. And do you know how sometimes you do things and you wonder if you make a difference? Well, there's a young lady down here that wants to thank the people that were part of that. Here you go. Thank you. That I called you young? I don't need that. My mouth big enough. Well, no, use this so they can hear. <laughs> I don't know how they used it, but um this was my first time coming to this thing, right? At first, I didn't want to come because I had a busy week. But anyway, I want to thank everybody who donated yes. they, um, to the to wherever it was because I got some nice stuff out of it. I got this outfit. <laughs> Make me feel like a million bucks. The necklace. Oh. I'm a model. Oh. But. I got a lot of stuff out of there and um, for my mom too because she loves costume costume jewelry and she said thank you very much. Okay, you're welcome. My sister. All right. It's a good way to start. Um, If you were been here for this series. We've been talking about the kingdom family. And you know, we've been going down through and I saved the men for last. Men, just so you know, uh, we have doors guarded. You will not be able to get away. I want you to take God's word, turn to Ephesians 5. We're going to get there in a moment. But we've been addressing the crisis in our culture when it comes to family. Now, part of the problem is this. We allow the culture to say and feel what they say and feel to dominate our thinking and living. There's far too many people that are more concerned about being politically correct than biblically accurate. And there is pressure today, and there's been pressure every generation to adjust what God has already spoken. Now, I'm not talking about theological nuances. For instance, like the end times, There are good thinkers on all sides of the fence. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm speaking about things that God is very clear and specific. But because of the pressure and possible punishment at times, we shift our thinking to a more palatable way of thinking that suits our culture. For instance, just read an article uh, Saturday on education. And you know the whole controversy about Common Core and the obsession over test scores And they're saying that somehow this will allow kids to be more ready for college and their careers. But some research they've done over the last two decades, what they discovered is four methods that actually do work. They've been proven to be successful. And by successful, it prepares kids for life. Just not college, but how to navigate life itself. Now, the problem with these four methods is they involve the family and moral values. In an article I was reading by John Horvath, here's what he says. The four things they discovered. One is family dinners. Research by Putnam and Adams said those kids and youths who ate dinner five or more times a week are less likely to do a lot of illegal things. And they higher GPAs. And they're more happy and successful in life. That's the first. The second, catch this one, bedtime stories. Research done by Adam Swift says there's a huge advantage in schools, GPA averages in college, for kids whose parents read to them at night. Now, you know what his solution was? He says, parents who read their kids' bedtime stories, you need to stop because you're giving your kids an unfair advantage. I'm like, why don't you say parents who aren't reading their kids' bedtime stories ramp up? Three, going to church. They discovered that when you take your kids to church, compared to the unchurched, they excel in all levels. Less crime, less getting involved in a lot of illegal stuff. And the fourth was parental involvement. Now, did you notice something about these four methods? They didn't cost the taxpayer a single dime. (laughs) And we keep saying, the way to better education is more money, more money. No, it's a better family. What we discovered is that we are image bearers of God, not our culture. We're called to bring the kingdom of God into our present world. And the family was designed to be an illustration of kingdom living. And what we're going to see this morning is that The man and the wife are an illustration of Christ and his church. But I'm going to begin with the question that I asked last week. Men, you have to ask yourself, Am I out of alignment with what God says about who I am? Am I out of alignment? Think about the church for a moment. Are we out of alignment? I mean, Christ is the head. And we're to operate how he thinks, not what we think. But is the church out of alignment? Church today, it's all about being relaxed, convenient, and comfortable. We even call ourselves relevant. What that means is we look and sound cool. We act like everyone in our culture. And we're really careful not to offend people. Church today is more concerned about putting warm bodies in our seats than transformed lives into our cultures. I thought about Go Beyond this past week, and I asked myself, what does it mean to go beyond? Or what does it mean to to be going beyond to go beyond? I mean, it's nice to do this for a week, but what does it mean to live a transformed life 24-7 in our communities? All the research tells us that Christianity is inclined in America. And what do we keep doing? We keep taking the same drug, and we up the prescription, and we spend a lot of money doing it. What we should be doing is repenting. Now, you know what repenting means. It means a complete change of mind. We should repent of our obsessive entertainment, and it's all about me version of church. And that's what we need to repent of when it comes to our families, because we make it all about us, don't we? We make it about our convenience. We make it about our happiness. We may, I mean, we, the church mimics what we've been doing in the family. The sad part is we've sacrificed a biblical version of the family. It no longer has its divine purpose and its divine function. I like what C.S. Lewis says. He says, enemy occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is a story of how the rightful king has landed and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. So my first challenge to the men this morning is align ourselves with God's design. Now you're asking, what is that design? That's what we're going to get into. But men, it's time to take our rightful role, to honor God, honor our kids, honor our wives, Adam was created in the image of God. God gave him authority and responsibility. And men, we got to stop blaming Eve. We don't sit there and say, God, it's that woman that you gave me. Story about a man sitting in a bar and a guy noticed that he was wearing his wedding ring on his right hand instead of his left hand. And so he started the conversation and said, I've noticed that you're wearing your wedding ring on the wrong hand. I'm curious why. He goes, well, I do that because I married the wrong woman. (laughs) Men, there is none of that this morning, okay? There is none of that. A lot of men think they married the wrong woman. I, I had a friend who was married for over 30 years. And he decided that God told him that he was married to the wrong woman. Of course, it had nothing to do with the other lady he was seeing on the side. I mean, nothing. Men. There's going to be none of that. Now, many of you know I, I'm, I like riding motorcycle. And if you didn't know, motorcycles have a very specific design. And because of that design, there are things that I do not do on that motorcycle that, violate, that would violate the design. For instance, I don't take it down to the Sescoma River over to Long Level and ride out on the water. It was not made for that. Here's the problem today. There's too many men who's taking their motorcycles and trying to make them into a boat, and they're sinking fast. They are not operating according to design. Now, before I get into this design, let me say something. Your mind might already be going places that are not profitable. You might go to your past. You might go to influences, experiences you had in your life. You might go to the present that you're kind of stuck in some... Unhealthy addictions. Here's my challenge to you this morning. Start where you are. Don't make excuses. Don't opt out. Don't say, well, you don't understand my situation. Start where you are. Your life was designed to bring glory to God. You are an image bearer of the king. Operate according to your design. So let's look at Ephesians 5. Paul's writing to a pagan culture. We've got to understand that marriage in the days of Jesus was very different than it is today. Marriage is a, was primarily a social transaction. Men tried to marry well that would raise their social status. And it's one of the reasons why divorce was so prevalent because if they found someone else that would take them up a notch, they'd divorce this one and marry up. The women's job in Paul's day was twofold. To link the families... And two to bear kids. Now, Paul's vision of marriage is shocking. He doesn't say we marry for status or stability. He doesn't say we marry for emotional happiness like we tend to marry today. He says we marry because it's an illustration of Christ's relationship with his church. Now, I want you to remember that this passage, he's talking about the filling of the Spirit. And what he's saying is, this is what it looks like when it comes down to the family. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its Savior. The husband is the head of his wife. Now, I, I realize... I didn't hear any women amen me on that one. They don't like that. They start thinking all kinds of things, saying, wait a minute. Now, what you don't like is a man who's out of alignment, okay? What you don't like is a man who takes headship, pulls it out of alignment, and it's where abuse and absenteeism and oppression come in. And we mystify what this means. It means, well, I'm the boss or. I'm the dictator, and I'm going to tell everyone what to do. So we have to ask ourselves this question. What does it mean to be the head? Well, let's go back to what we talked about in the very beginning, Genesis 1 and 2. When God made Adam, he made him, first of all, the governing authority. You know, Joshua said this, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But it's just not governing authority. It's also assuming responsibility. When Eve took a bite of that fruit and gave it to Adam, and God shows up, who would he go to first? He says, Adam, what would you do? Well, it's the woman you gave me. Oh, no, we're not doing any of that, Adam. See, Joshua took responsibility for that to happen. And the family is about mission. It's about the advancement of God's kingdom. So here's what this means. You have this design you have to own. And you have the responsibility to live out that design. Put it another way, enough talk, enough Bible studies, enough promises. Step up and live it. Now, having said that, women, I want to remind you of something. Men are sinners. Can I get an amen? Amen. Just like you, Amen. yes. We're all fallen, and we're not going to get this right all the time. In fact, we're not going to get it right a lot of the time. But what headship means is that you pursue God's purposes. See, our purposes define us. Now, that's the first question. If this is what headship is, what is it, how does it work? How does it work? In other words, give me some practical illustrations of what, hey, okay, we, we know what it means, man's head of the wife, governing authority, responsibility, but what does it look like? Look at verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Now in verse 24, I'm just going to remind you, here's what it says. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Just a reminder last week, can the men amen? No, they're going to be quiet. They know if they amen, they're going to get it when they get home. <laughs> Verse 25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let's talk about love. It's a word we throw around without understanding a biblical worldview. We talk about loving our cars, talking about loving our sports, loving our food. Other places, we usually define love as the emotions how I feel about someone or something. Now, when we talk about love in the context of marriage, here's our first confession. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've dated. I don't care how well you think you know each other. We all go into marriage blind. Listen to this quote by Stanley Howerwas. It says, we never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For the nature of marriage means we are not the same person after we entered it. The primary problem is learning to love and care for the stranger whom you find yourself married. Marriage changes us. Having kids changes us. Career switches change us. Age changes us. Here's the first thing we discover about biblical view of love. It's a sacrificial love. That's the only way to navigate the changes. Christ gave himself up. What does that mean? Well, we know what it means. He died for the church. Now, if we get the function and role right, and that comes from being in the Lord, we talked about that previous week's. What it means in a sacrificial love is that we pursue the well-being of our, our wives, sacrificing our well-being if necessary. And what that means is you can love even if you do not feel love. Remember Christ in the garden? He was praying, and what did he pray? He was, draw, he, he was sweating drops of blood. He says, God, is there another way I can do this? And God says, no, this is your, this is your mission. So the question I have for the men this morning is, who do you want to look like? A cultural version of what a man is? And you realize that's constantly changing. Or Christ. Now let me make this suggestion. If your vision is that of our culture, i want to suggest that your vision is too small. And it's time to mirror something bigger than you. It's time to love your wife to the death. And what that simply means, if you are still alive and breathing, you're not finished loving her. So this headship thing. Have you noticed everybody wants the authority, but no one wants the responsibility? So you're responsible to love sacrificially. You know, Jacob worked for Rachel for 14 years. He had to prove it, he had to show it, he had to deliver it, he had to demonstrate it. And we are called to live for the well-being of our wives. Now, having said that, it's not her version of well-being. It goes back to God's design. It's not say, hey, you know what, Adam, take take this fruit over here. That's where the man said says, you know what? That's not part of God's design. We're not going to do that. And that leads us to the next idea of how headship works. First, it's a sacrificial love. Secondly, we see in verse 26 that love is sanctifying. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, the word sanctify kind of is an archaic word. We wonder what that means. It simply means to be holy or to set apart. And you might say, well, what do you mean to set apart? Well, we set her apart from the world. Remember the cultural stuff we talked about last week, how they're obsessed about the way a woman looks and nothing about the interior? Well, we set her apart and help her realize the beauty that God has in her. We set her apart from sin. You know, we don't bring sin into the house. We don't allow her to bring sin into the house. We set her apart from all the lies and the idols of our world. We set her apart from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. And if you're going to sanctify her, guess what? You need to be set apart. I mean, Jesus saves us. We know that. We also know that all our sin did not disappear when we became Christians. It was still there. And sanctification is working out that sin. And, you know, Paul at one point in his life comes along and says, I am chief among sinners. Now, I know a lot of people say that he thinks about his past and realizes he persecuted the church, and that's why he said that. No, I don't think that's why he said that. First of all, it's written in the present, not the past. He didn't say, I was chief among sinners. He said, I am chief among sinners. As we grow in Christ, what happens? He makes our minds and our hearts more sensitive. And all of a sudden, we realize that some things we never classified as sin, Wow, we shouldn't be doing those things. So I think Paul was just making the process of setting himself apart, and that's why he said that. Another way of saying this is just because she married you doesn't mean that she will instantly be transformed into the wife that you want or that God wants. You may have tried to rescue her, to save her, But your wife is a work in progress just like you. And when you married her, all that stuff she hid from you, you realize she was hiding from herself. And when we hide things from other people, we're really hiding them from ourselves. And you realize that when you married her, you married her history. But you take her in Christ, and you help her become who she ought to be. Her design. You help her into alignment. You help her with the inner beauty we talked about last week. You help form Christ in her. You help form the fruit of the Spirit in her. You help form love and grace and wisdom and all those kinds of things. Now, there's other options. One of the main options is you can fight. Churchill, Winston Churchill and a certain lady in Parliament had a very adversarial relationship. In fact, the lady said many times she hated Churchill. And one day, they were having this argument. She looked at Churchill and said, if you were my husband, I would put arsenic in your tea. To that, he responded, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. (laughs) I can't tell you how many marriages act like they just want to kill each other. All they do is argue and accuse and blame. And what we forget, remember how Christ loved the church, Men, Christ loved us at our worst. While we were yet sinners. And even when we did not return the favor, he still loved us. So see, it's a sacrificial love. It's how headship works. It's a sanctifying love. And third, it's a satisfying love. Look at verses 28 through 29. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Now, what this is talking about is the health of our bodies. And the health of our bodies is fundamental to everything we do. Good health is fundamental to happiness. If you ignore your health, your body breaks down, and it gets involved in pain. But here's what this looks like. Let's say you're going to put your happiness ahead of your health. And you define happiness as making a boatload of money. And so you work long hours, you ignore your health, you don't exercise, you don't eat right, you don't get enough sleep. And one day you have a heart attack and you can't even enjoy the very thing you thought would bring you happiness. And so what this means is, men, live with your wife in healthy ways just as Christ does the church. I mean, Christ lives with us in healthy ways. But if you determine to run your marriage your way, you will be in a lot of trouble. Judges, the book of Judges, complete chaos. When you read the book, you want to close it because we don't like the stories that are in there. They're absolutely horrible. But there's two key phrases, one at the beginning of the book, one at the end, it says this, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes that's american culture today. And certain groups are trying to push what they want and what is right in their own eyes down the throats of everybody else. And look at the chaos we have. But I see that in our homes. It's a consequence I see it in our churches. And I'll say it again. Just look at what we get offended over. And that will reveal our hearts. Now, going back to the whole illustration about Christ in the church, God wants us to have a healthy body life. What that means is diverse parts. We know those passages of Scripture where it says, you know, some are hands, some are feet, some are toes, some are fingers, some are internal organs you can't see that are absolutely necessary, some are external things. We all know that without the diversity of the working in a unified way, we're going to be unhealthy. And the analogy is so simple and clear, and yet so often we default to our preferences and image. But so it is with men, ladies. All men are diverse. You don't get to pick and choose and say, I'd like a little bit of this one, a little bit of that one, a little bit of this one, and put them all together to get what you want. They've got to operate according to the design that God has made them. And each one is important in terms of the image of God. And men, so it is with Ladies. You know, our culture keeps redefining what beauty is. But God's word's always consistent. And the only makeover anyone needs is a Christ makeover. So your job, men, you're the head. You have the authority and responsibility to sacrificially set them apart and nourish and cherish them into becoming what God has designed them to be. So the headship thing is love. It's, sanct- it's sacrificial, it's sanctifying, it's satisfying. Now, we all know that there are bad things that harm our wives and kids. We go down through the list between drugs, too much drinking, pornography. Had a man in the Bible study this past week who had a history of that said, you know, what we fail to understand is that pornography emasculates men. And the tragedy is today because we want women to act like men and men to act like women. The fastest growing part of the porn industry is for women. And yet, somehow we applaud that as free speech in our culture. Bad things happen that harm our wives' affairs. So often I hear a lot of men say, well, I, I never did anything. Listen, emotional affairs are equally, if not more damaging than physical affairs. Can't tell you how many women said, you know, I kind of just wish they would have slept with him and that's it. Been a sex thing. Man, when you give your heart to another woman, when you start talking to another woman about things you should talk to your own wife about, you are in danger. We're going to have none of that. While there's bad things that harm our wives and our kids, there's also very good things that harm our wives. Things that are good that become way too important. Things like kids. Things like parents. Now, what I'm talking about with parents is, you know what they often call mama's boy? It's where no matter what happens, mom ranks over wife. Not good. Careers can be one of those good things that become too important. Here's what this whole passage means. Men, we have the power to hurt or to heal. Think about Christ in the church. This is the analogy. Christ has the ability to overcome everything and anything anyone has ever said about you or done to you. And we are that illustration. It's how we live. So men, you need the comprehensive rule of God in every single area of your life. You need to have an integrated life, not one that just shows up in church on a Sunday. can't tell you how much damage it's been by Christian men who act one way in church on Sunday morning and act the rest of the way in the confines of their houses. Insurmountable damage has been caused by that. So man, where it starts is, it starts with Christ. And if you're here this morning and you haven't made that decision, you need to start there. That's where you begin. Then you need to set your life aside. You need to set it apart. You need to sanctify it. And you need to begin working on all those things. And, And God's Spirit will help you do that. There's other people that will come around you. That's why we call body life the 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 illusion in our culture is that we can do this on our own? No, we can't. That's why there's 29 other concepts in Scripture. It's because we need each other. But we've got to swallow our pride and our ego and allow people to help us. So, men, you need to integrate your life. In church, in the home, at job. And Christ needs to be the center of all that. If you don't, your life will be in chaos. And your wife and your family will be in chaos. And you'll probably be like Adam and say, why did you give me that woman? Man, there's none of that this morning. You are called. You're given the authority, the responsibility to be the head of the house, which means you will love sacrificially. You will love to sanctify, and you will cherish and nourish. You will satisfy those things. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I just want your heads bowed. And if you're here this morning and you have never made a decision for Christ, or if you have and you've backed off a long way and you need to reintroduce Christ in your life, I want to pray for you. I actually want to get someone around you and really take care of that kind of business. So is there anyone here that would like to make a decision for Christ? Just let me see your hand, and we'll get somebody with you. Okay, right there's one. You want to take care of You got that? Okay, good. Now, if you're here this morning, too, and you're saying, you know what? Yeah, I made that decision a long time ago, but boy, have I wondered. I've just what's the word? I've kind of left the path. And I, my life is in chaos, and I've caused a lot of chaos in my own, well, with my own family, whether it's my parents or my wife or spouse. If you'd like prayer this morning, just raise your hand. I want to remember you in a closing prayer. Is there any? Okay, I see the hand. I see hands there. Any others? Father God, May your Holy Spirit intervene, take these words. And no matter what was said this morning, may your truth just enter their minds and their hearts. I pray for that. Pray for the young man that wants to make a decision for you this morning, that you'll help him understand that. Pray for the others that raised their hand, that you'll help them navigate back into uh, where they ought to be rather than who they thought they should be according to this world. Give them incredible strength by your Spirit. May we gather around them and walk with them in precious ways. But thank you, Lord, for um, allowing us to be here this morning in our imperfections, in our sin. And thank you for uh, loving us in ways that we do not even begin to understand. To you be the glory. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray these things and everyone said, "Amen." Amen.